Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. Joining us today is Dr. Louise Aronson, a geriatrician at the University of California, San Francisco. Her clinical practice is through the House Calls Program for Diverse, Vulnerable, Homebound Older Adults, as well as the Acute Care for Elders Inpatient Unit at San Francisco General Hospital. Well, I love it. I think it kind of depends on what you like best about medicine. Um, so I have colleagues and friends who are really focused on a particular organ or disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are others like myself where I'm, my focus is really the person. And the great thing about a house call is that it's their turf, not mm-hmm. ours. And so the patient is a person first and a patient second. And I think so often in clinics and hospitals, it's the other way around. And so if what you really are interested in fundamentally is people, it's great to go on a house call. I mean, you get all kinds of information you don't get Mm -hmm. in the clinic about uh, what's going on socially, um, what they can and can't do and have access to. You know, I mean, we've all gone into places where, you know, you're figuring out why am I unable to control, you know, the hypertension, Mm -hmm. diabetes, I mean, you know, fill in the blank. And then you see that his and her medicines are all in a big bowl on the table. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. Joining us today is Dr. Louise Aronson, a geriatrician at the University of California, San Francisco. Her clinical practice is through the House Calls Program for Diverse, Vulnerable, Homebound Older Adults, and uh, as well as the Acute Care for Elders Unit, uh, which is, I believe, an inpatient unit at San Francisco General Hospital. She also serves as an associate editor for JAMA uh, for the JAMA Care of the Aging Patient series. Dr. Aronson has won numerous teaching awards as well as recognition for her service as a geriatrician. Being a distinguished clinician at a major academic medical institution would be enough for most physicians, but Dr. Aronson actually lives a double life. She's also an accomplished writer with an MFA and several prizes to her name for her writing. She has recently released her first book, uh, A History of the Present Illness, a collection of 16 short stories. Dr. Aronson, welcome to Radio Rounds. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. If we could talk about the book first a little bit, A History of the Present Illness. I understand the book is fiction, but it seems to be based somewhat on real experiences. So that's a great question and one I get fairly often. Uh, the book is fiction. Um, you'll see, it, you know, people who read it will see that there are stories from all different points of view, people of different ethnicities and ages and backgrounds. Uh, but it's also completely true to my experience and what I've learned as a person, you know, for about 50 years and as a physician for close to 25. I did it as fiction for a few reasons. Um, one is obviously to preserve patient privacy. So there, the other two reasons are at least equally important. One is that a single story doesn't always tell about a whole group of people or an experience in medicine and that I sometimes combined experiences from many patients to get what I think was a truth that explained all their experiences. Ah, Whereas if I just told one, 
I might have only spoken about that person. And mm-hmm. I wanted to tell a similar story, but speak about the many people who are suffering in that particular way. Um, so that's the second reason for it being fiction, um, but also being true. Um, and then the third one is that if you call something fiction, you can change things around a little bit to make it more compelling and interesting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't just want to write a sort of Tales from the Trenches. I wanted to write a really good, entertaining book um, that is along the lines of a, a really good read, good fiction, good literature that you might pick up for its words and its sentences and its stories. So those are the three reasons. And, you know, that's that's so interesting because it just makes me think in my, uh, of course, very limited experience of clinical practice as a, as a medical student. Uh, you know, th- it is true that you come home and you talk to people about some of the stories that you've experienced and they don't... I think they can understand that story, but it's very difficult to explain the context. It's very difficult to explain how all these stories kind of fit together to, you know, even just give my experience of the day. It's it's complicated. It's more complicated. And I think that that's a really interesting way of doing it, of using fiction to tell kind of a bigger truth. Exactly. I mean, we, we sort of joke in fiction that fiction gets at truth with the capital T. Uh-huh. Um and fact gets at truth with a small t. If you think about things that are fact-based and they're just discussing this year, that might be out of date next year, five years from now, ten years from now. And if you think of the books that get read year after year, century after century, they are almost exclusively fiction. And that's because they get at the universal truths of what it means for us to be human. And that's actually a terrific place to be as a doctor because so much of health and illness get at those same truths, how families cope, how people cope, um, how it brings you face-to-face with what matters most um, and what you can and can't do as a human being. So, um, So fiction really worked for medical stories. And, you know, just hearing about the, some of the stories you're describing, uh, it's it's not like it's it's every doctor's experience and in the sense that not every doctor gets to work with the kind of breadth of diversity that you have worked with. So so what is it that makes your experience and your practice unique as, as in contributing to the writing of this book? Well, I did try to capture as many different fields and ages of patients as possible, although Admittedly, given that I've been a geriatrician now for the last, uh, you know, 15 plus years, there probably is a bit of a bias towards the old. Uh, um, older patients do tend to disproportionately use the healthcare system, so I suppose that's mm-hmm. one justification. Um, but I also have the great uh, fortune to have practiced most of my career in San Francisco, which is an incredibly diverse city in a diverse state. And I wanted to capture that because it's really the way the whole world is going with mm-hmm. with the the ease of air travel, with migrations, with uh, intermarriage, uh, that we live in such a culturally rich time. And I actually love that about my city and my practice. And so I wanted to represent it because I feel it's where we are now and where we're going. And also because I feel like it enriches all of us to learn more about each other because you see the, the similarities and also the differences. And both are interesting and exciting to me. Um, in terms of sort of specialties and, and does it represent what everybody does? Probably not. Um, but I did draw on my experiences as a student and all the stories told to me by friends in other fields to try and capture in the book 
the sort of the totality. They all take place in San Francisco, and they all have something to do with medicine. Mm-hmm. But I wanted them together to say something different than what each one individually said. So, so the whole being greater than the sum of the sure. parts, and the whole speaking to both modern life and modern medicine. You know, that, it's just it's it's so interesting because your your the demographics of your practice are so varied that they clearly contribute to to your experiences and and I, I think that it's it's absolutely true what you're saying that that's the way that the whole world is going. I wanted to ask you if you could read an excerpt from one of the stories. Would that be possible? Ooh, that would be okay. So many medical stories are about death or potential death. From the fifth floor of the Martin Luther King Apartments, where I occasionally visited them as part of an outreach team for an understaffed neighborhood health center, Rogelio watched helplessly as his wife disappeared. He was a tiny man, so frail that once, when I passed him with only a foot of space between us, he wobbled, clutching his walker as if it were the safety bar on a roller coaster. His wife, Karina, sat smiling and mute in a wheelchair, fat and healthy except for her brain, a not-so-vital organ, if you have the right husband. Each visit was the same. Rogelio wouldn't discuss any of his many worrisome diagnoses, just his guess about how much longer their luck would last. And he wouldn't consider a nursing home. With a nod at the caregiver, he'd say, I must watch them with her, and I am so lonely. The aide sat beside her charge, engrossed in a soap opera. Karina smiled. When I left, Rogelio squeezed my arm and whispered, She must die first. Promise me. Young and hung up on mistaken, if well-intentioned, notions of professional integrity. I made no promises. Such a such a striking and and I think just hearing it's such a powerful moment and you know, you, you it, it speaks so much of the perspective of the husband. But you being from you know being having just finished medical school, I'm thinking so much from being you in that room, and and that very difficult position. Right. I mean, I think one of the great things about having taken so very long to learn how to write and then write this book is that it gave me access to each of the different parts of my training. I think I started Mm. thinking about writing after residency, and so medical school and residency were still fresh. And so I had pieces of material from that. Uh And then, actually, I worked in the community for a number of years and came back to UCSF around 2007. And at that point, I started teaching students. And that gave me a different perspective, but also reminded me of all those things. And so to capture, you know, I really wanted to capture patients' experiences, but I also mm-hmm. wanted to show doctors in a way I haven't seen um, in some of the medical writing that's out there. You know, there's so much lately, and it's so great, but there yeah. were pieces of my experience and my students' experience that I didn't see there. And mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to capture some of that. And I do remember, you know, this couple comes from a few different couples, but I do remember a very early experience, I think, during my fellowship of, of someone asking me something along those lines and and me really prioritizing, you know, my honesty over his comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you, you can argue for either side, I think, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would necessarily make the same decision at this point in my life. Sure, sure. I've got to ask, uh, thinking about the situation, it seems like house calls are a big part of of your own practice. And I, we have in our program at, uh, at Wright State, um, 
we have a geriatrics component where we do house calls as well. And I remember it was especially powerful for me. But uh, what is it like for you to go on these house calls? Well, I love it. I think it kind of depends on what you like best about medicine. Um, So I have colleagues and friends who are really focused on a particular organ or disease. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are others like myself where I'm my focus is really the person. And the great thing about a house call is that it's their turf, not mm-hmm. ours. And so the patient is a person first and a patient second. And I think so often in clinics and hospitals, it's the other way around. And so if what you really are interested in fundamentally is people, it's great to go on a house call. I mean, you get all kinds of information you don't mm-hmm. get in the clinic about uh, what's going on socially, um, what they can and can't do and have access to. You know, I mean, we've all gone into places where, you know, you're figuring out why am I unable to control, you know, the hypertension, mm. diabetes, I mean, you know, fill in the blank. And then you see that his and her medicines are all in a big bowl on the table. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, ah! What do you do with that? <laughs> right, exactly. And and it can be simple things like, you know, they're, they're new to us and we do the house call and, and maybe there was a consult called because the primary couldn't figure this out and you go in there and you realize it was because nobody wrote for the you know they were written for childproof caps and they couldn't get them off so the daughter comes over gets them all off they pour them all in one place and they do their best so often these things you know it people are often labeled as Mm non-compliant when really they were being creative about a problem they didn't quite know how to solve and and doing the best they could think of um, so you just learn so much about people in their homes. Um, and, you know, it's fascinating to me because I go into homes in all different neighborhoods and people from every background and every socioeconomic strata. And I think it it helps contextualize medicine in, in life and society in a way um, that certainly informs how I think about policy and systems issues mm. and everything else because... I actually see the downstream effects of our decisions, um, you know, in in practice and as a society. It's it's just strikes me because it's such a uh, one of our previous guests um, on the show, Dr., uh, Don Berwick, uh, had oh, said something. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he had said, <laughs> "We are guests in the lives of our patients," and it's just it's mm-hmm. you know you really get that experience when you're at their house. <laughs> when right. You're yes, in their that's space. what a house call is, without mm-hmm. question. Yeah. <laughs> If I could um, extend the topic a little bit and just ask you about the field of geriatrics, what what drew you to geriatrics? Well, it's funny. I didn't really know much about it. So I went to Harvard for medical school, and the only geriatrician I recall having any contact with, and and I should um, say this was some years ago, and and they do have uh, lots of good geriatricians these days, (laughs) but um, there was one at one of the community hospitals Affiliated, and, and I don't know that I ever saw anyone else or really thought about that as a field. There wasn't much primary care emphasis. Um, sort of, mm-hmm. I had a similar situation where I was thinking, do I want to be a family physician? And about as close to that as I could get was to read John McPhee's Heirs of General Practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I didn't have much exposure, and I had not. I had actually chosen my undergrad. Uh, college based on its not having math or science requirements, mm-hmm. and I had then worked with Southeast Asian refugees both in the U.S. and wow. on the Cambodian border, and that's what had decided me on medicine. So I I really thought I would do refugee medicine, and then my clinic was such. I don't 
I mean, you'll you'll see um, in residency, but but people's clinics also often have a particular character for Mm -hmm. not necessarily any, you know, understandable reasons. But, you know, this person has lots of pregnant women and, you know, that one has lots of people with, uh, you know, in wheelchairs or, or just randomly that happens. And I happen to get a clinic with a fair number of older patients. And I found I loved taking care of them. Um, and I think for a lot of reasons. Part of it is that people tend to have more illnesses and diseases as they get older. So it really exposed mm-hmm. me to all of what internal medicine is, you know, and can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of it was that, as I said before, I'm really interested in people. And as people get older, you have to include, you can't just treat the disease the way the studies, most of which are done on people in their 50s and 60s, say mm-hmm. treatment. If somebody's 80 or 90, um, you know, it really matters. We had one patient who would walk across the Golden Gate Bridge from Marin for his visits. Wow. Okay, well, maybe I can treat him as if he were 60. <laughs> yeah, um, But wow. if someone is wheeled in by their caregiver and is on oxygen, then then my approach needs to be completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it forces you to think about life expectancy, uh, the patient and family's goals for care and life. Um, often the care of the older person will involve the people around them, so you have to think about the caregiver. Uh, so it really allowed me to contextualize all of internal medicine, which I find really interesting, in the lives and values and cultures of people, which I also find interesting. So it kind of combined mm-hmm. my two big interests. Um, and so I just kind of happened upon it. And when I did my third-year talk, I picked dementia, which incredibly nobody was talking about at the time the wow. <laughs> mid-90s. yeah you know so i presented at the american college of physicians that's how much nobody was talking about it wow. i was a resident um and then i did a general medicine clinician educator fellowship and they said well you know pick something to focus on dermatology gynecology you know rheumatology something like that and I thought, well what would happen if i did geriatrics if we actually because it turned out there was this whole literature and we mostly weren't using it um, and I thought they would say no, and they said, oh, yes, that's a great idea. You should know more about older adults. Um, and then the more I did it, the more I loved it. And there, there's also a huge need. Um, I was just working earlier today on an article. You, you know, we we make a big distinction between children and adults, mm-hmm. and there are actually at least as many differences between a 45-year-old and an 85-year-old as between a 45-year-old and mm. a 15-year-old. Um, and yet we act as if it isn't different. Um, So I really think uh, one of the great things about being a geriatrician is that you're an internist with the added skills you need to take really good care of older people. And you also have lots of opportunities to teach, which I really enjoy, you know, Mm -hmm. colleagues and and everyone uh, about how how older people need slightly different care under many circumstances and and how to do that well. Because what we find is a lot, very few people have training, but most doctors really do want to take good care of their patients. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you help them do that, they really enjoy that as I do when they help me, so... Yeah, definitely. It's a it's certainly an uh, inspiring story, and hard hard to believe that those topics were 
so kind of not discussed back then when now, I mean, how many times did I learn about dementia in medical school, <laughs> how to distinguish dementia from delirium and all of this, but... Um, I'm so glad we got yeah. none of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, thank you so much for talking to us about, about the book as well and, and geriatrics in general. I think that our listeners will really appreciate it. Um, for our listeners out there, uh, Dr. Aronson talked about her book, again, A History of the Present Illness, which really I think is kind of a, it's a great title. It's, it's at once kind of majestic and at the same time uh, it's like majestic and mundane at the same time. It's what we do every day, but, you know, also the core of the humanity of so much of what we do. So, um and I think the book really reflects that. So thank you again for joining us. Uh, be sure to check out the book. It's available uh, through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, as well as Powell's Books and IndieBound. Uh, Dr. Aronson, uh, any, any parting thoughts for the medical students out there? Uh, well, I'd just say you've chosen a great profession uh, with so many opportunities to you know, be stimulated to keep learning and to do great things for the world. So I hope you're ex- as excited about your careers as I am for you. That was Dr. Louise Aronson, UCSF geriatrician and author of the book A History of the Present Illness, a collection of short stories which showcase the humanity of what physicians do from a variety of perspectives. Be sure to check out her website at louisearonson.com. Join us on Radio Rounds in the coming weeks for more great stories from all areas of medicine. And in the meantime, remember that you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit radiorounds.org. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All of that information again at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Sponsored by the American Medical Association. Providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone, and have a great week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Lakshman Swamy. And if you come to Boston, one day, I'll be your doctor. <laughs>